Well, we begin our series called People of the Promise. It's going to be a very selective series on Sunday nights, picking out individuals that believed God and lived their lives accordingly. Uh, there's lots of examples uh, in the Old Testament as well as in the New of those that uh, didn't believe God, lived wicked lives, and we're just going to focus on some of them that lived for God and, and made a difference. And I think um, if you had to pick somebody who made a difference in the early days of, of, of the history of man, it would have to be Noah. Noah made a huge difference. We wouldn't be here if it were not for Noah uh, listening to God. Uh, Noah and the ark. And the other thing I was thinking, it was perfect timing, Mike, to talk about the transportation ministry. <laughs> Noah was the first deacon of transportation. And everybody who, who he didn't transport didn't make it, okay? And the ones he did uh, were saved. Well, we want to take a, a quick overview of Noah's life. I've called him the exception because of the way he's introduced. But we're going to look at Noah and his walk, uh, which was really his walk, his daily life, the way he lived his life was because of God's grace in his life. That's the way we're introduced to him. Uh, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord, and then it describes the way that Noah lived. And as we look at, as we look at Noah as exemplary of one who trusts in God, we're going to see that the characteristics of his life are the characteristics really of anybody who belongs uh, to God. We're going to look secondly at his work. His work <clears throat> was building that ark, really important work. But it was work that was driven by his faith in the promises of God. And then finally, we're going to look at his worship, where we see God's covenant blessing on him, uh, builds an altar, God makes a covenant with him, and uh, blesses him, kind of a, a total restart of the earth. His walk, his work, his worship, and your life and mine easily falls into these categories as well. We need to be the exception uh, in our day, in that these things, our walk characterized by grace, our work by faith, and our worship by covenant blessing. So first, let's look at Noah's walk, which we're characterizing as grace. Let's back up to verse 5 of Genesis 6. Um, we're actually introduced to Noah in the previous chapter in the genealogy. Um, you know, one thing I noticed is Noah had his kids later than anybody else in the whole genealogy. And I guess it's a good thing. They started off young. They were going to be the ones that were going to replenish the earth. But the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So God's looking not just on the outward deeds, not just on your words, but all the way down to your heart. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I've created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heaven, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah, and that, that phrase refers to the records of Noah. Remember, Moses is writing about this hundreds of years later. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And this is what made him so exceptional, this 
God's grace in his life. Here you have a world where every intention of the thoughts of their heart is only evil continually. In verse 11 of chapter 6, this is going to describe the earth as corrupt in God's sight. He's well aware of the corruption and filled with violence. And it strikes me as you look at the history of the world how much the world is still the same as it was in those days before the flood. We know, you know, the language that's used in this text talks about uh, the eyes of the Lord. It, it reminds us of the Lord's presence and of His complete awareness of what's going on in our lives. Proverbs 15, 3 tells us the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. We kind of, we kind of, you know, we behave often differently when we know other people are watching. We, we need to remember that God is always watching. We're always accountable to Him. In 1 Samuel 16, 7 as God explains why he hasn't chosen uh, David's oldest brother, Eliab, he says, For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance. The Lord looks on the heart. As you and I seek to uh, serve the Lord and walk with the Lord, we want to remember that we want to we be working at our heart level. Not just holding ourselves off from doing the wrong things and saying the wrong things, but really asking where our heart is, what our desires are. Asking not just, you know, what we do, but why, why am I doing this? What's my motivation? What am I living for? Is this really um, what I want to do given what matters to me most? And, you know, really, ultimately, people are going to do um, according to what they desire most, what they want most. Uh, there's a sense in which we all get what we want because our heart drives all the issues of, of life. And so the question is, do I, do I want to serve God? Do I want to honor God more than anything else? Do I want to be close to Him? So Noah's characterized by grace. That's what favor uh, refers to. He found favor in the eyes of of the Lord in the eyes of Yahweh. God's presence was everywhere. Noah, Noah really lived a life that, that recognized that God is. That's what Yahweh means. He is. And he was therefore a righteous man. Righteousness refers to conformity, God's standards of right and wrong. So one of the questions, I, if I'm a person that, that has received grace from God, if he's shown me favor, I belong to him. One of the first things I want to be asking is, what does God define as right and wrong? Because I, I want to pattern my life accordingly. Now, we all know that we're not sinless. We all know that we don't live perfectly. But, but if we have a relationship with God, then we, we want to know what God thinks about anything and everything. And, and those are going to be our marching orders. Now, we live in, we live in a time when it's really easy for us to get our marching orders from a tens of thousands of other places. We are inundated with information, with entertainment. We have everything literally right at our fingertips. And if we're not careful, whatever age we are, and parents, this can happen with your kids, where if you know, you're, letting, you're letting the screen be their babysitter all the time, you want to be careful who's discipling your kids. You want to be careful who's discipling you. So many of the, the ideas that deviate from what the Scriptures actually teach, what God actually says, 
you know, you, the, from, from professing believers, they, they start articulating ideas, and you say, wait a minute, where did you get that? Because it's not in the Bible anywhere. In fact, it's contrary to what's in the Bible. It's contrary to what God says. Oh, but, but it has to be true because they read it in this blog, or they, they've, they've watched it in multiple movies or other kinds of things. Be careful who's training you in terms of what you conform to. He was a righteous man conforming to God's standards of right and wrong. He was blameless in his generation. That then talks about his testimony, his reputation before other people. He, He not only was trying to do the right thing, but he was known for doing the right thing. This was his M.O., as other people interact with you, do they know you as, as a person that, are, 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 is your life such that there's not these, these handles, these things that snag people up? The, you know, are you one of the people that provides the excuse for an unbeliever uh, not to have anything to do with Jesus because all these Christians are hypocrites? Or are you a person that actually starts make, making them wonder whether they need to get right with God? because they see the effect of God on your life. He was blameless in his generation. And then ultimately, you have this beautiful phrase, he walked with God, which speaks of an ongoing relationship with God. It's the same description uh, that God gave of Enoch, his great-grandfather, who also preached against a wicked world, and, and he was not, for God took him, lived on earth only 365 years instead of 900 and something, and God took him on without actually having to go through death. Enoch had a son whose name was Methuselah. His name means, when he dies, it shall come. In the year that Methuselah died, which would have been Noah's grandfather, and in the year that he died, the flood came. So Methuselah's very name was a prophecy of what God was going to bring. But we learn from Noah his walk was because of God's grace in his life. We want our walk to display God's grace in our lives. And then his work, and his work really was a work that came from faith. In Hebrews eleven seven, we read, by faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household, By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Now, there's never going to be another worldwide flood. God has promised that. We're going to see that in our last point. But do you realize how much of our life is driven by things we cannot see? Faith is the substance, the foundation of things hoped for, the evidence, the proof of things not seen. So much of the way we live, if we belong to the Lord, is driven by what is yet to be, we haven't seen it yet, or is driven by a spiritual world that we cannot see with the physical eye. Let me give you some examples. For instance, how do you know that when you trust in Jesus, God declares you righteous in the courtroom of heaven? Have you looked at the books? Have you looked to see whether your name is in the Lamb's Book of Life? Have you even seen the Lamb's Book of Life? Do you even know that there is such a thing? The only way you know that is you're taking God's word for it. How do you know that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord? You've never done that before. It, it, 
typically only happens once. There are a few people that did it more than once, like Lazarus, who was raised from the dead and then had to die again. I, I, but, but, you know, what's on the other side? The only thing you know about what's on the other side comes from God. How do you know that God has reserved for you an inheritance with a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells, and that you will live forever with the saints of God? How do you know that's ever going to happen? You can't see it, but God has promised it. How do you know that God will ever hold all of those who do wicked and don't trust in the Lord? How do you know he's going to hold them accountable in the final judgment and that that they'll be cast into everlasting lake of fire? How do you know that? You haven't seen it. You've You've never had that experience. You know it because God has promised that will come and that Jesus himself will be the judge. So the, the life of a believer, the life of one who puts faith in what God has said is, is, is a life that anybody that belongs to God must live. The Old Testament and the New Testament, they parallel the flood of Noah's day to the universal judgment that will come at the coming of Christ. And so, Noah is told to build this ark, um, and I don't know what Noah's job was, what his, all the things that he knew how to do before building an ark. Uh, one of the things that I, I kind of am envious of those in the pre-flood era, living to 930 years, and, and the, how many things they learned how to do really well. Okay? And if you think about it, all of the techniques that you see in the, in the ancient world post-flood, guess whose family had to be the ones that actually started all that? When we look at ancient shipbuilding techniques and the, the Ark Encounter, um, you know, utilizes some of the earliest designs for ships. Where do you think those designs actually came from? Well, there was a shipbuilder. <laughs> Uh, his family was rescued by the boat that he built. In fact, when we look at the dimensions of the ark, um, translated from cubits to feet, 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and uh, feet yeah, and 45 feet high, um, it's actually the the size of today's cargo ships. And how many of you have been to the ark encounter, by the way? Okay, a lot of you have. So you see this in living color. So I haven't been to the Ark Encounter. I had to go with a cargo ship. This is a cargo ship that we saw in Savannah. And the, the picture does not do it justice. In fact, these are the two that, where I could show you that it was a ship. But, but in none of my pictures could I get the whole thing. In, in fact, some of them, when it was just straight on, all you see is a, like a wall of ship with a tugboat b- beside it. So huge uh, ship. And Noah was told to build a ship this size. In Genesis 6.22, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. In Genesis 7.5, Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. You know, faith naturally leads to obedience. If I actually believe what God is saying, if God tells me to do something, I trust him, I'm going to obey him. False religion wants to reverse it. They, they, want, they want to say, I'm going to work my way 
to salvation rather than trusting God for salvation and then producing the works. In Genesis 7, 15 through 16, they went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh in which there was the breath of life. And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. Now, obviously, I'm, I'm greatly boiling down the story. The story uh, takes up multiple chapters. But the point is this, that God uses people who will put faith in him and follow his direction. Noah's task was huge. It was very difficult. It had to be discouraging. And, and he had to do it in the face of ridicule because the fact that he was building a boat that was supposed to save people from coming judgment from God was a rebuke to his generation for their wickedness. It was calling them to repentance. And it was a seemingly absurd project. It would be like all of us wearing life vests today. It doesn't make any sense. There's no water. Boats are for water. Where's the water? Now, some people have asked whether there's sufficient capacity in a boat like this. Uh, Henry Morris has done some work on uh, how many cubic feet would be in a boat that size. And I'm not going to go through all of the all of the numbers on that, but, but basically, if you took uh, current species of mammals, birds, reptiles, and amphibians, and you even doubled that for extinct species, and then you doubled again for male and female, you end up using about 60% of the capacity of the ark. It was big enough. Obviously, you're not going to bring the biggest, uh, the biggest version of each animal. You use smaller animals. They would have been size of sheep or, or less for most of these animals. So plenty of capacity for the ark, but this was a job that this was work that was done because of faith. And you and I have to ask ourselves the question, as we do the work that God has given us to do, are we doing it because of our faith in God's promise? You know, if I don't believe God about what he said about the, how the world ends, if I don't believe God about what's right and wrong, if I believe that somehow fulfillment is found in just finding my own way and satisfying my own appetite, if I believe that he who dies with the most toys uh, wins, if I, if I think that, that everything, my happiness is bound up here on earth, there's a way I'm going to live. If, however, I believe the promises of God, there's another way I'm going to live. It is a life that is characterized by faith. Our work needs to be characterized by that. That means that in your workplace, you're, you're, you're doing your work for God, not just for men. I mean, even slaves in the New Testament are instructed, look, work heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Don't, don't, don't be doing your work just when somebody is watching. Don't be doing it um, because of your, of your human master. Don't, don't let your human master, who maybe is harsh, keep you from being faithful in your work. Make sure you're serving God in your work. People of faith a work according to what God has asked them to do. And then third, we see his worship which is characterized by covenant blessing. We're going to read some fairly lengthy passages, but I want you to see um, the information, the things that keep coming up in these passages. In Genesis 8, 20 to 22, this is after the flood, and the waters have receded, and Noah and his family have come out on the earth. I've often thought about what that would have been like, um, to step out on the earth with every person you've ever known gone. 
except for your family. And, and the whole earth completely reconfigured because floods and earthquakes don't leave the earth as it was. I mean, it, it wasn't just moving to a new town. It was moving to a new planet. And, and what a feeling that would be. And now I'm thinking I'm going to be major lonely. Well, Noah built an altar to the Lord. He, God was with him. And he took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever strike down every living creature as I have done, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. You'll notice that God is underscoring the fact that human beings are still sinners by birth and by choice. And Noah himself, in building an altar to the Lord with blood sacrifice, would indicate that his guilt before the Lord and, and the fact that God has treated him with grace. But, but God is not going to destroy the earth again. He makes that kind of promise. And Genesis 9 expands on that. God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. By the way, those words come from where? Where have we seen those words before? If you think about your Bibles, um, everybody who's ever had the biblical worldview class ought to, like, we, we, we have, what do we call Genesis 1, 26 to 28. Yes, the creation mandate. God gave blessing on human beings, and he gave them a job to do as those made in God's image. And here you have him repeating what he gave Adam and Eve at the very beginning. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens. This is different from before. Upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Now, why is that? Because into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. So in the first blessing, the food was just plants and fruit. Now it's animals as well. And all the hunters in the congregation applauded. Um, and as I gave you green plants, I give you everything. So here you have the creation mandate and blessing that's renewed. And it's striking that, you know, from Noah's family came every people group on all the earth. And every people group has a flood legend in their ancient history. They, they all knew at the beginning that, that they came from Noah and his family. And God blesses Noah um, in the same way that he blessed Adam and Eve at the beginning. But you shall not eat the flesh with its blood, with its life, that is, its blood. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it. And from man, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And so this whole covenant of blood innocent life for guilty life, as Noah indicates with the altar, and then, and then the importance of the lifeblood given upon the altar for forgiveness. This is going to be a theme that's going to run all the way through Scripture pointing to Jesus. And you, be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, behold, I establish 
my covenant with you and your offspring after you. We're going to see this word show up again and again. And with every living creature that's with you, the birds, the livestock, every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. You know, God cares about animals as well as people. He cares for the whole earth, and he makes this covenant with all of them. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that's with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Let me just comment for a moment on the rainbow. Don't let our current culture steal the significance of what a rainbow means. Take it back. We are people of the rainbow. We are people that every time there's a storm are reminded by the rainbow that God will never again destroy the earth with a flood. I've set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Verse 14, when I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that's between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. The water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. Notice how many times he's repeating himself. You think this is important? I think so. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I've established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. I mean, they're starting all over again. God's blessing reminds them of the creation mandate, be fruitful be multiply, uh, and multiply, exercise dominion on the earth. I've given you food to eat. And then the covenant, which is an agreement or a treaty based on relationship, is a covenant of blood pointing to Christ, innocent life poured out for guilty lives. And he makes this promise, and he, and he backs the, the promise with a sign of the bow in the clouds. I want you to think for a moment. If you've ever been through some major traumatic event, whenever something happens that's similar to it, the alarm bells go off. That we call that PTSD, Right? If you've ever suffered any PTSD, you know that if you've had a very traumatic event, there are things that can suddenly remind you of that event, and you're, you will actually have the physical re reaction as if you're experiencing that again. If you've seen a worldwide flood, you've seen 40 days and nights of rain, you've seen the surging waters, the fountains of the deep breaking up, you've experienced the wiping out of an entire planet, even though you are saved. Do you think you might suffer a little PTSD? The next time the storm clouds roll in and it starts to rain and it lasts more than just a few minutes? I think I would. And so it's almost like God is saying, Noah, look, you can, Noah's name means rest. He said, you, you can rest. Next time there's a rainstorm, don't worry. It's not happening again. You don't need to worry. I'm promising you I'll never wipe out the earth as I had done this time. God promised he will not destroy the earth with water ever again. Next time it will be with fire at the end of the age. And those who walk in God's grace, those who work according to their faith and his promises, those who worship God according to his covenant blessings and promise are prepared for that final day. They have found safety in Jesus. 
he will rescue us from death and from judgment. And I, I guess if we wanted to choose a sign for that, it would be the cross, right? Christ has paid, has paid his lifeblood for us. So, as you think about Noah, and these are things that, that um, this is not just for kids, but even kids can remember his walk, his work, his worship. His walk, his work, his worship. His walk was because of grace. His work, because of faith. His worship, because of the covenant blessing of God. And so this week, we can be the exception, those that stand out as those that belong to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the life of Noah. And Lord, to this very day, um, we benefit We benefit from his work of faith. We benefit from what you did in his life and how you used him to save the planet, to save the world, um, to save his family, those who would get on the ark. And God, we never know the, the full extent of what our work will produce, but we know, God, that often when we are faithful to you, when we are the exception in our generation because of our walk with you, that, Lord, you use that in ways that last for, for decades, even for centuries. So, Lord, may we bring you glory that way, just as Noah did. For it's in Christ's name.